Welcome to the Fail Forward podcast. The purpose of this podcast is change the negative stigma around failure into a positive. Failure is only a negative if we do not learn from it and we give up. Welcome back to the Fail Forward podcast. Today, I've got Jack Jiggins on board with us and he's going to be talking about his journey and just not the, the linear way of his journey, all the bumps in the road. Uh, I specifically um, messaged Jack because he put a great post the other day on social media talking about his success in the year, but also the failures that he did to get him to that success, which in, instantly enticed me into wanting to speak to Jack. Jack is an entrepreneur. He uh, runs and owns multiple businesses, four businesses, I believe. So, Jack, do you want to just tell us a bit, bit about yourself um, and those businesses in itself? Yep, brilliant. Thanks for having me on, Henry. Um, and thanks for reaching out off the back of the post. Um, so, yeah, long story short, um, my name's Jack Jiggins. I grew up around Oxfordshire. Um, I did a business degree in business and marketing at Oxford Brooks. Uh, it's a comical story. Everyone says that I've never left Oxfordshire. Um, off the back of my degree, I'd, I didn't feel like a marketing intern role for 24 grand a year in, in the city was for me. And I knew that there was definitely um, natural attributes for myself to be a business owner. And I think I'm very unemployable. I'm always trying to resolve problems and change how things look um, from the outset. And it's difficult working for someone else when you have that mindset. Uh, not the fact that I'm, I, I put the hours in. Um, so off the back of that, and over the last sort of five years, um, we've been growing a property development company called XB Property, which is home counties and West London based. Our HQ is in Henley-on-Thames. We also set up off the back of XP Property. Uh, we call it a bit of an ecosystem because all the all the businesses communicate and use each other and have a very centralised team that, that can sort of maximise that value. We then set up a surveying company about two years ago called XP Surveys. That's a geomatics measurement and building surveying company. So that's a service-based business, which is very different to a development company. And then five years ago, I also set up a management and lettings and HMO business with my brother called Central Suites. Um, and they're the, the main three companies. XB Property also has uh, a share in a social portfolio, which we've also been building over the last two years. Wow. Doing a lot then. That's amazing. So, um, so you, you went to uni and you realized you weren't employable. So at that point you decided to start a business. What was your driver to start a business apart from realizing that? Did you have um, experience from, were your parents entrepreneurial? What drove you to get into a place where you thought, right, I'm just, I'm gonna go straight into straight into business? Yeah, so uh, my, my parents are entrepreneurial. My, um, my father ran businesses um, from a very young age. He actually left school, couldn't read or write by about 11 years old. Um, and he is very skilled at managing people, um, managing cash flow. Um, but he was—he's what I call that sort of generation, which I think is getting diluted down of the of the era of if you were dyslexic, which I am, and my father is, and my sister is. Um, you don't really get the time and attention and need uh, to educate you on on how you're best fit in a company or in a professional environment. So for him, uh, I, I was a lot more fortunate that there was a, it was a bit more aware when I was at, at, during edu education. Uh, but for him, he left and just started started working. Uh, then he he basically started on the tools on a building site. So you can sort of see the second generation developer uh, coming coming through to me. And then he ran, ran a building company and then a plant and tool hire company. So from a very young age, I can remember him. Well, sometimes I wouldn't see him for you know almost months on end where he was doing shows. 
um, catering for his clients' needs, growing the business. My mum was a stay-at-home mum. Uh, I'm one of three, so she had her hands full, especially because we're all quite entrepreneurial. Um, and from that, obviously, you are a bit more ingrained to understanding the, the mindset of, um, you know, why don't you go out there and give it a go? Why don't you take that risk? You haven't got a lot of, of responsibility uh, or, or, or people relying on you at the moment. Go and, go and take that plunge. So that was very evident from a, from a young age. Um, but I think I was to some degree born with a bit of a skill of trading. I like negotiating. A lot of people are uncomfortable negotiating. Um, from I think I set up my eBay account when I was about 14 years old. And obviously prior to that, the standard story of taking sweets to school and selling them. But that's not that that exciting because it just fulfills your own, your, your own uh, snack habits at school. But uh, my eBay account since then has traded over 500 trades. I focused on basically retail arbitrage. So taking a product that's really badly marketed with an independent business, advertising it on eBay. So I benefit from the massive eBay marketing spend. And I would, I would buy the stock low and then sell it high on page one of Google. And I've been doing that now for, blimey, 16, 17 years and, and never really stopped. Um, and that all comes part of negotiating, finding the supplier, agreeing a, a bulk discount Obviously, that bulk discount is I'm preempting. I'll sell 20 units in a quarter. I agree a price, sell it on, sell it via obviously eBay then Google at, at a much higher price because the, the consumer might be a little bit lazy to do any research and see if there's any other options out there. And as a result of that, build a nice income of trading that stock. Um, I actually went into an office role in sales after university because I knew, uh, I knew. I could put the work in. I've always had quite a strong work ethic. That's definitely something that's filtered down from my dad, um, from working on building sites, laboring for family, friends, and whatever it may be at a young age. So my view when I had come out of university with my business degree, and it took me till sort of 2021, I still didn't know what I wanted to do or what that looks like. Um, I'd already tried ventures in the fitness industry, uh, which you could say was a failure um including a gym setting up and not actually getting off the ground personally um and then also a meal prep uh, business but i went into the sales role very open-minded that if i put in the most work every day out of everyone in that office of an office of 100 to 150 people my view is i'd get paid the most because it's commission based um it didn't really click and that was like a real sort of i suppose second check am i am i fit for business am i fit for something that's completely and solely reliant on my skills the answer is no i've learned now being a business owner with a team that, that's quite a substantial team of several several different skill sets that i do need other people to grow and scale where i need to be i heard um roger hamilton the billionaire that, that we all know say uh, something the other day on a conference he said most often the business the, the most um biggest bottleneck you'll have in your business is you uh, and I completely agree with that. Um, so, so, so going into the sales position, I was probably too late, in my opinion, to leave because you're always getting paid for sort of two or three months of sales ahead of where you're at. So it sort of entices you to stay there and keep working in that that uh, happy to say rat, rat race. Um, and just one day, it was actually the start of the new year. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'd saved up quite a substantial amount of money from my stuff that I was doing on eBay, working out of hours in construction and also working in the sales business. And it, I went handed in my notice and one of my directors said to me, 
you know, what, 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 what do you want to do? And I said, I, I don't know what industry I want to be in, but I want to be in an ownership of a business role because I want to basically be in their position that, um, I want to work on growing things and coming up with ideas and solving problems and building a team around me to create that value. Um, so it was there and then I quit my job. Um, as I mentioned, had a, had a quite a substantial cash pot for someone of sort of 22, 23 years old. I wanted to invest that into a business that I could throw everything into. Um, and while I was sort of trying to think what business I wanted to go to, I love e-commerce and product because you can make significant, you know, 10x, 100x, 1000x returns from quite a limited amount of work and it's very scalable. Um, but just to keep me busy, I went and worked back to what I knew. I went and worked on a construction site and I was probably the most qualified hod carrier in, in the UK at that time. Um, and off, off the back of that, a few opportunities opened up to invest in some property schemes. And, and that's really where, where my construction and, and property development um, life began, really. And I started building a business that was just me and investing in schemes, actually delivering them on the tools. Um, and it was very quickly that I realized that I can't really do this for another 30, 40 years and I need to build a team and I need to get contracts managers in and I need to make sure that I'm not actually physically lifting blocks to create that, you know, the business and the portfolio that I want to build. And that's where I met business, uh, my business partner, Ben Richards, and we sort of wanted to divide and conquer. We had very similar aspirations to grow a business where we're not doing one project a year, we're doing eight developments a year. Um, so at that time, 22, 23, we were flipping one house at a time. Um, but now, if you fast forward, we've got, I think we've got about uh, 12 projects secured this year. Um, you know, some of them are 24 flats, 28 flats, 14 flats, seven offices, seven flats. So they're, they're a lot larger and we're managing a lot larger stock. Wow. Love that. So hell of a journey. Um, and just to go pick back through that, you, you sound like it's a bit similar, similar, but obviously completely different to my upbringing where my dad did. He did more sort of flips where we lived in in properties and lived in caravans and things. But I certainly grew up around property and also see my dad do it like the not the way that I that, that we are taught how to do it now, you know, using other people's time and other people's money. He was doing it all himself. Um, and it's funny because it's similar to me. I left and went and did other jobs but I didn't go straight into property. It actually took me a lot longer than it took you to get back into property because I was, well, I'm 38 now. I got into property two years ago. So I, I was like 20, 20 years before I got into property because I sort of didn't want to do it because I saw my dad working, working, overworking himself. But um, certainly getting in, going through that journey that you did has certainly helped just from, from and I, just, I, I first met you, Jack, um, and I don't know if you remember, but you did a keynote with your partner at uh, Progressive Property. And I don't know if you know, but that day you struck a light bulb off in my head because I knew fortunes in the follow-up. I say it to my mentees all the time on my other mastermind. And you, you, you stood on stage and went, yeah, all these deals that we've, um, we've, we've, we've gone in for, we weren't the first bidders. Like you, you actually had a stat and we was like, oh yeah, we're not following up on anything because we weren't following up on any of our deals. So did you get that, pick that up from your sales training? Yes, I did. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that we just talked about. I mean, I used to, we used to, my dad did develop every house that we lived in when we grew up. So I did live in a caravan, but back to sales and, and follow up. Um, I mean, topic, topic of, of fail forward. I didn't feel like I was actually that good at the sales that I was doing in, in the day job. And I, I think that was partly because 
there's a moral aspect that I wasn't comfortable with, which was, you know, we had to inherit by the company, i.e. manipulating situations. And I hate that word and that, that wouldn't even be seen in our company. I think you can do good sales with honest uh, approach. Um, so I really struggled in sales prior, but I took so many of the fundamentals that I was taught and I learned so much in sales over the course of, of that employed job because they were very intensively on training the first two weeks. You don't even pick up a phone. You, you actually go through two weeks of sales. But the follow-up process, obviously, it's very different. So in, in my old role, follow-up wasn't necessarily following up on a million-pound site that we're going to convert to 14 flats. Um, but I completely took that over from, from the sales experience I have and, and just go through with you because the listeners might find it useful in terms of the stats. Since 2020, um, we've bought a site every four weeks. So you can do the maths. We're talking, you know, we're, we're obviously late 2022 now. We're talking about 25 to 20, uh, 30 sites. And I actually run a stat myself because obviously now I'm in a business ownership perspective. I still work on the acquisitions, but I have people to help me within the acquisitions. And I need to try and transfer what works for me and let them adapt their own sort of way of, of, of delivering schemes into our business. And out of those 30 schemes, let's say, we get out and we've got out 550 offers since we've uh, set up the business and our success rate is about 10%. So I know I need to get out 10 offers to get one deal. And knowing that fact is quite key because you need to know your activity, but the 10% the off the 10 offers is more successful from the follow-up process. So we have a more routinely process after we've bid than we do before. So what's really common in property, and it might be common in other things, is you get really excited about a project and it sort of swallows all of your time and you focus days. Some, I've seen some developers uh, or, or acquisitions team focus weeks on one project. But what is your likelihood of securing that? What is your competitive advantage? Can you build out as cheap as anyone else? Is your finance as cheap as anyone else? All those factors mean that someone might be able to pay more and you'll miss out on it. That's fine by me because quite often I look at it and I go, I'm going to get this six months time when that buyer hasn't performed. One in three property transactions from under offer to exchange fall through. So I want to be that that 33% success of that, that fall through that we step in. So out of the back to how many sites we bought, which is about 30 sites, we went through and assessed every single one that we secured first time round, and it's two projects. So out of those 30 deals, it was the follow-up process that secured them. So what's crazy is, yeah, we do spend time on our follow-up process, and if we weren't spending time on that, we probably could have got out more offers. But I think quite frequently, you're more likely to secure a deal once you just keep the call up the agent, call up the owner, landowner, has it sold? What's the process? Why have you pulled it from the market? Has this person that outbid me performed? Can I have a go at, go at running through legals and showing you what we could do? And that really power of follow-up has been absolutely detrimental and, and by 100% a majority in our acquisitions process to secure that. And that has come from assisting and being trained in, in sales, I suppose. Love that. That's like, I mean, that's so much value just in that in that couple of minute piece there with with following up. And I know no property people listen to this podcast. So it's a thing that I say all the time is fortunes and the follow up. And like I said, you know, sometimes when something's right in front of you, like when I saw you on stage, you said that I was like, I know this. Why am I not doing? Why am I not doing this? I do this in my, my other businesses, but I'm not doing this in property. Um, but I guess that's why we go to these events. That's why we have mentors. That's why we are part of masterminds and have those kind of things to help us. Because quite often 
certain things are right in front of our face and we don't even see it. So, yeah, thank you for, for sharing that, Jack. And it's just, again, show, showing that like p- people go on a journey of work and like I was in sales like you and I did car sales and that was the most morally corrupt business ever they were selling overpriced cars with terrible warranties on it with the worst finance packages and they were literally as you say manipulating people who are on their dog walk to buy a car they just popped in to have a look at a car and before before they know it they're on a sunday afternoon dog walk and they're driving home with this terrible valued car um so so yeah sales like that but when you add sales is in like the value and you look at what value you're delivering to your clients then it works really well and like they say selling is serving right yeah yeah exactly and and i i always reiterate reiterate to our team or if i'm doing a keynote speaker whether it's a landowner or an agent or whoever's involved in that sale transaction normally a landowner wants good terms or good money and the agent just wants a clean transaction so that they get their fee and they can move on to other business. And I always say they're not there to, to grow and build your business. It's not in their to-do list to go, right, I need to sell 10 sites to Jack this year because I need to grow XP property. Their to-do list is I need to sell 10 deals this year because that's what pays my bills. Whether Whoever buys them, it's not really buy the buy. So so it's our job to get on top of them and make sure that we're front of mind, we're we're fully informed. As soon as there's a little wobble in legals of someone else not performing, I want to be the first person to know or to find out. Um, so I do hold that upon myself, and that's my job, to be in there at the right time. And to be there at the right time, you've got to be there all the time because you never know when the right time is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I tell some of my mentees be in the right place at the right time, but to be in the right place at the right time, you've got to be consistent um, and, and turning up and being regular. And, you know, even... Um, you know, there's probably some people that debate me on this, but in sales, you don't need to be that talented, really. It's the people that turn up week in, week out that just ask the questions that are consistent. They're the people that get the wins. It's not necessarily about being able to woo somebody on the end of the phone. It's just being right place, right time. As you say, how do you get there? Just turning up on a, on a consistent basis and be making those phone calls, right? Yeah. Yeah. I will say ad- additional to putting the time in is, is also listening. It is my, is my bugbear when people don't, when, when sales people don't listen, you, 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 you tell them a golden nugget of what needs to happen, how it needs to happen. Like, Oh, this is the problem. And they just keep throwing spaghetti at the wall and, and hope that some of it sticks and, and yeah, but yeah, time consistency and listening to what the problems are to solve them is, is, uh, is definitely the fundamentals. Yeah, definitely. Someone said to me the other day, you've got two ears and one mouth, so you should use them in that proportion. And I was like, yeah, I'd never even thought about that before. We have got two ears. Yes, listen more, listen more. Um, love that. So tell me a bit about, you know, we, we briefed on it a minute ago, but a bit about your upbringing, um, similar to mine, um, in the sense that you lived in building sites. What was that like? And what was that experience? Um, and did your dad get you pushing the wheelbarrow around and, 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 you know, cracking on at weekends when your mates were out playing and that kind of stuff? Because that was my experience. Yeah, so my my dad was, um, I suppose it, he he came from a family where his 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 father wasn't really a worker, and his mother was a really hard. Uh, she was Irish. She moved over here to to work in in uh, being a nurse in London, and she was an extremely hard worker, um, and sort of brought the the family up on that that hard work was essential to pay the bills and keep things going forward. I think my dad felt extremely responsible to step in as the sort of father of the home and I think that made him an extremely shrewd businessman hard worker and an and a extremely good value for for money um so he was inevitable to just be you know really working the grind I don't necessarily think um he is smart but I don't think he works smart I think he works too hard probably and that's what he wanted to 
transfer over to me. So I've gone from the generation above from being hard work, but trying to make sure that I'm a bit smarter with how I, how I do it. Um, so he was, yeah, working on construction sites. Uh, we, his standard gig was buy a bungalow. We live in really high value areas near Oxfordshire. Um, so, you know, back in the, you know, he bought his first house for 17,000, sold it for a hundred thousand more, uh, did all the work himself and progressively went up the ladder to, you know, build bigger and better houses. Um, and actually he retired from his plant hire company, the service-based company. And I'd argue he's probably made more value in the, the family housing portfolio that he had built. And he's, he never really owned more than one house. So it was always buy it, refurbish it, live in it, sell it, next one, next one, next one. Um, and, and yeah, I was similar to my upbringing (laughs) and, and throughout that, yeah, well, I was full on laboring all of our, I've got a sister and a brother, but my brother was probably uh, more targeted than, than my sister was, but we were both, you know, we've both worked on site. We've both knocked up concrete to build driveways, build walls, put fencing up. Um, you've got to earn your keep in our family and it's not, it's certainly not a free ride. It's almost like you don't have a good relationship with my dad unless you're working hard uh, and not dossing around. So that was always ingrained to us. And I think we're all hard workers and we've taken that on, which is, which is, you know, a good thing to take on. And I think there's certain generations coming through being an employer now where that's, that's missed. Um, and there, there are people that are not willing to, to work for it, but that, that might be another topic another day. <laughs> but yeah, from, from day one, it's, it's, I always wanted to be the hardest worker in the room. And I always made sure that I implemented that in, in anything that I did. I think that, I think that intelligence and um, the ability to learn in education is is to some degree your personality and what you what you're born with. There, there's some people that are a lot more intelligent than others, and I I knew that I actually wasn't that smart. I went to a school where I was pretty much bottom grades and everything. I was quite good at sport, but that was pretty much as far as it went. Being dyslexic, I focused a lot more of my time into like subjects like maths, art, drama, um, than the English English literature. Um, sciences I just don't really like reading so Audible is an absolute godsend for for me Um, so I just took what I knew from my dad's work I I did want to um, excel and be as successful hopefully more successful than him and we always have a bit of a joke um, that 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 we're we're still in a bit of a race but his his clocks his clocks stop and mine's still running Um, (laughs) and and we, we do have that friendly banter now. Originally, it, it wasn't there. He's very, he was very hard-nosed and very rude or blunt. Um, but that's I'm thankful for that because I, I don't accept anything to happen for me without my influence. So it's, I take it upon myself to create that. Um, but yeah, all the way through childhood and growing up, it's been work ethic first um, before anything else. Um, and you do get appreciation in our family if the work ethic's there, which is, which is great um, when you're putting it in, that is. Um, so yeah, it's been installed from day one that you've got to be, you've got to be hardworking, whether you're, whether you're, whether you're smart or not. Yeah, absolutely love that. It's a very similar, my dad, very hardworking. Even now he phones me, if, if I've put a Facebook story up of me on the golf course on a Tuesday, he'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you not at work? And I'm like, it's right, dad. I'm, you know, I've got a business. I've got people doing things. And it's very much like, what are you doing that? You should, you should be cracking on now. And it's like you just said earlier, it's also, it's working harder, but also adding that working smarter. So with that great work ethic that you had installed into you, Jack, and moving on through once you left school and you started getting into property, did you then add in some self de- more self-development, learning about property? What was, the, what was the next stage of it for you when you were getting into that, into, into the property development world? 
Yeah, so I, I understood construction pretty well um, because I've been on so many construction sites. So I'm talking the makeup of buildings, what insulation is, how it goes together. Um, by the time I was getting into property as a business, I could pretty much plaster paint, block lay, uh, knock up gauges, do ground works. Um, I could do all of the manual stuff. I didn't understand much of the technical stuff. Um, so, you know, planning, um, what 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 sort of engineering goes into build, you know certain buildings and why they're built that certain way i just knew the delivery so i i knew everything from drawings to to completion um and i didn't understand raising capital buying assets setting up companies cash flowing companies um i didn't understand planning um design spec how to how to deliver something to sell it you know a lot of the projects that you build out you build out what the, the architect drew um, whereas I now had to be leading that part of what's going to sell, get the architect to draw that, change that, tweak that. So redesign, obviously the construction came quite easy, uh, but comically I've actually now stepped away from that part in our business. That's run by my business partner on our team. And then the sales process. So I, all, there was all these areas outside of just digging ground, fix, you know, the final paint uh, and furnishing that I didn't understand. So um, again, it sort of taps into the, the hard work and just getting around. I took a, out of the back of my sales role, I took a full-time project management uh, job in West London. And the reason I did that is I had a nice pot saved up and, and we, we had some successes with, with a couple of developments that, well, houses that I had turned around beforehand. But the issue with that is there's always something to be getting on with. So I, I felt that I'd work on site from sort of seven till four. Then when I got back in at four, I was ordering materials, working on, you know, how, what the next day looks like, arranging labor, uh, arranging the team, paying people. So I basically didn't have any time outside of that sort of when you're running your own project. So what I did is, I, right, I'm going to do a, I'm going to work for someone else for however long it takes for this particular project, which was a seven million pound office refit in West London. And I worked nine to five, so to speak, with a commute either side. What that enabled me to do was to listen to audio books, read magazines in my spare time, attend events in the city and outside the city out, you know, in the evenings. And I averaged about, it was something, it was pretty crazy when I look back at it now because I don't do this now. I was attending about three to four property events a week as well as working sort of 60, 70 hours in that job. Um, and the way I learn, as mentioned, I'm not really a textbook kind of guy. I learn off other people. Um, which which hugely benefits me because you're sort of building relationships as you're learning. But I hugely love learning off others. So I've joined boardroom groups. Um, I um, We started at Progressive Property, so I had a mentor there. I had a mentor outside of uh, Progressive Property who was completely nothing to do with any educational platform, just a really aspiration, aspirational guy. Um, I learned off other people that I met up with, met for coffees, met for lunch, brought them to the site that I was working on, picked their brains. And I was sort of figuring out a plan of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And by the end of that project, I'd actually met Ben from all of this networking three or four nights out a week. Um, and obviously working pretty heavily on weekends, building up a business plan, a strategy and, and really working hard on that. So I really hugely used the time that I was working in that space to just excel and knowing a bit of a, an end game for me. You'll laugh. I also did other things that year, like selling materials because there was a lot of surplus on site. I also sold um, uh, just the trader in me that, that when, when I was working on that site, there was 170 tradesmen on site every day. It was a huge office building. And I was buying um, 
steel uh, steel toe cap Chelsea boots um, from China and selling them to the the staff because because as a as a legal requirement we had to have spare shoes for, for, for from a health and safety perspective but they were really ugly like black um, ankle high boots and I went and bought like a nice product um, that that I knew I bought in at like sixteen pound a unit and I'd sell to the trades at fifty pound a unit. Um, so I was also running a bit of a trade trade gig while I was there as well. Um, but but that's how really my property journey went from being in sales, working for someone else as a pro project and site manager. Um, it's obviously relative, so I understood a lot. I understood a bit more about office fit out makeup, managing uh, professionals, managing the M and E consultant, managing the the the, the architect. And then when, by the time I'd left there. I then was really fortunate enough to meet Ben. That's when we started looking at projects together. We set up XP Property um, and then started really figuring out what we wanted to do as a company. And every single six months, it completely changes and, and, and gets refined. We've learned so much in the last five years. It's, it's actually uh, insane. You know, We've bought 59 projects since then. And the amount you learn on each individual scheme is, is just enough to just tweak it learn move on do a bit better next time um so we're we're still very activity led um i might yeah I, my view is i might not be the smartest developer or have the the biggest uh, track track record because in our generation in, in property development we're competing with 30 40 50 year old companies um but we certainly are active and we're learning every project that we go forward yeah so in true fail forward fashion you know exactly. it's it's picking up picking up all the little bits and, and, and working out, you know, what can we do and improve next time, right? Exactly that, exactly that. And we started small and we're getting bigger, um, but we're likely to have made made all the mistakes that, that we would on those schemes. So that's how we're comfortable to scale the company as we are. Yeah, absolutely love that self-awareness because I think my biggest failure was not seeing all the, the looking at every single thing we did um, and it compounded, lots of little failures compounded into one big failure. People always say to me, well, how, how did you fail, Henry? And I was like, well, there's lots of little there's lots of little ones. So to have the self-awareness, Jack, to be looking at everything and going, right, okay, so what can we do? What can we do? Yep, that was great. Yeah, we did make money on that project, but what could we do better next time? What was what were the what were the break points? What were the most difficult points? Um, going back to what you just said as well, there's so many golden nuggets in there. You've got mentors. You need to get one mentor. You had a mentor in Progressive. You had another mentor, um, which is amazing. And the networking, so many people, because now I mentor people in property as well for Progressive on service accommodation. People say, one of the first things I say to people do, are you going to networking? People say, no, I'm like, go to networking, meet people, get in amongst different people. Because what one thing I learned with property, slightly different to tree surgery, and it's opening up now, um, but people are so much more open to talk and share information because there's so much opportunity in property. Um, there was so much more crossover and people helping each other. Um, how did you find doing all that, that networking sort of four four times a week? Um, yeah, you get some events that you've traveled into London and back from London and you didn't really get much value from it. And someone's doing a talk on something that might not be relevant, but I'm a massive believer in delayed gratification. You can't value every day on its merits because you never know what that might bring you in six, 10, 12 months time, you know, even longer than that. I've met, we've, we've had people that I met in, you know, one of my original boardroom groups that I was in six years ago. I'm actually partnered now in the social business with one of the people that attended it. And, and it's just that consistent them getting to know me, me getting to know them. And, and eventually seven years on later, six and a half years on later, we're partnering on a on a on a on a development together, and it's that delayed gratification that you can't really value today. So um, I was just 
happy to be out and meeting people that are doing different things. I love hearing about other people's mistakes, successes. Um, I love going to talks and hearing about other people's businesses. I've been to a few talks recently about companies that have gone into liquidation. I've heard about companies that have been a real success and me to try and piecemeal what I can take from both of those businesses, I find really exciting. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a problem solver. So I also like, um, you know, I also like helping others, you know, it's, it's quite exciting when you're really not scaling a development company, like when I spent the sort of 18 months really getting out there and being in front of people, I was so I was trying to solve problems in other people's businesses before we had ours was really off the ground. And it was sort of, I suppose, sense checking me and hearing their views on my on my, you know, my delivery on that. And there's never a perfect uh, way of running a business because that's I think that's physically impossible. There's always, you know, problems whether you, whether you haven't got enough cash flow to grow or you need some capital to grow or whether the right team is difficult to hire or whatever it may be but what you can do uh, i have a massive mantra is only worry about the things that you can control everything that you can't control shouldn't be a concern for you um so the market but you can de-risk deals so that to work or work on what you can control and for me at that moment in time i could control where i was who i was surrounding myself with and if I wasn't in those rooms, I'd probably be listening to, you know, books or podcasts anyway. Um, so it was for me just to be a bit of a sponge for a few years and really learn. I probably learned more in that 18 month period than I did in from, from the ages of five to, to 21 in education. So um, I was really keen to just, just, yeah, I suppose, meet people from a first point, but also just get an understanding of what this industry is and what, what we're learning about. A lot of people actually say to me, because um, I'm 31, they say, you know, a lot for someone that's 31 and you know running development companies but what, what i always say back is i said if you've worked 100 hour weeks for the last 10 10 years you've technically done 20 years worth of work condensed into 10 years um so it's just because i've been really active yeah love that absolutely love that and and the fact that you've been active and helping people as well um is is fantastic because um you know being able to give and receive at the same time is massive um so yeah i, I love your self-awareness on that um so let's go back because you mentioned you had a couple of failed businesses in the way of a gym and a food prep company so tell me about that and you know what happened with those and what you learned from those yeah they were two huge learning curves um so the, the meal prep company was, I was fundamentally in the office that I was in, I was cooking meals. I'm, I'm, I'm into fitness, health and fitness. And the most important thing about health and fitness is actually the nutrition. I, I think the gym's great. And it actually, for me, uh, from a mental perspective, sort of levels me out and, and gives me a bit of a breather from the day to day. And it's really the only time that I switch off. Um, but the, the nutrition was a really key thing for me. So I would I was the only person in the whole company of 130, 40 people that would bring in my own food that I've cooked and I've not bought from a shop in the center of Reading because the office was based in Reading. And first off, get your head around that, like pre-prepping food that no one else was doing it. So I was bringing in food for myself and it would be like lean mince curries with sweet potato or chicken and broccoli and rice or whatever it may be. And I would batch cook on a month on a Sunday night and eat Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I batch cook Wednesday and eat Thursday, Friday, and then if there's any left over at the weekends. My line manager, you could say at the time in sales, was a ex semi professional rower, um, quite a tall guy, cared about his health and fitness, was now a keen cyclist, and he just sort of said to me one day, "Can you just cook me what you eat, and I'll pay you a, a, a fiver or whatever?" And I was like, "Yeah, okay." So it then scaled from one person doing it to five people doing it, to 10, 10 people doing it, to 20 people doing it, to the directors doing it. And it just sort of grew. 
And it, you'll, you'll laugh at the time, because I was such a frugal individual, I had a uh, 1970s 90cc Honda Cub moped that I would literally be like a pizza boy. I would go from work. I would I would normally work from about 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. I'd then go to the shops on the way home. I'd then drive home and I'd cook every night because the demand got so big for, for me supplying this. And I, you've got to remember, I'm only cooking at home, um, putting everything on the back box in my moped and then taking it into the work fridge where I couldn't fill it with 100 meals to supply the week. So I had to do batch cooking every night. And I did that solid for, for probably about 14, 15 months. And while I was doing that, I always had aspirations to open a gym. I thought these two businesses are extremely complementary. If I could sell my meals in the gym as well as have a gym and a gym, uh, you know, a routine gym membership sort of style, it would be great. So as I was sort of getting pretty fed up or not happy with my sales role, and I was actually making substantial cash from the, uh, the, the meal prep company, an opportunity through another opportunity threw itself my way, similar to the meal prep where it sort of it sort of appeared. Um, up in I live in Henley on Thames, and there was a, a gym called LA Fitness, which was bought out by Pure Gym, quite a famous br uh, franchise. And LA Fitness in Henley, Henley's are like a higher tier, higher value area. It's actually top rated in the top ten most affluent uh, towns and cities in the UK. Um, the, the sort of budget gym model didn't really work and it was a bit of a lost leader for that portfolio. So when Pure Gym bought out LA Fitness, they actually decided to shut down LA Fitness and Henley. And I sort of caught through the grapevine of my contacts. There was 2,000 members there that didn't have a gym to go to. And it didn't take much of a, a, a scientist to work out that there wasn't actually capacity at the existing gym offering in Henley. So I knew there was a supply and demand fault in Henley on Thames. I also knew that my dad owned a commercial gym, which uh, a commercial unit, which was three and a half thousand square foot. And I'm thinking to myself, I've got demand here. I've got space here. I sort of know what fitness needs and is because I've been going to the gym for an excess of 10 years. So this is quite a good business opportunity. So over the course of the last three months of my sales job, um, I, I was actually building a business plan and working on setting up my own gym. I got change of use planning permission on my dad's unit. I, I uh, spec'd out all of the design of the interior of the unit, what the fit-out cost would do. I had three suppliers that I tended out to. Uh, so obviously huge kerning le uh, learning curve. So business plan together, um, kit specking, uh, space planning, tendering out for the work. Um, I had actually agreed a financial agreement with uh, a sister company to fund the, the kit as well. So I built this business plan. And I suppose... This is when the sort of cracks started to come between enthusiasm and experience, uh, or you could phrase it enthusiasm and delivery, which then obviously creates experience. I hit a few roadblocks. So um, our, my accountant basically shot down my business plan, said my numbers weren't good enough and that I hadn't thought about a lot of factors. And this was big, one big learning curve for me. I, being 22, 23 years old, I just took his word. You know, he's a he's a 50 year old accountant. Um, and the reason that he's an accountant is because he's not a business owner. Now I look back on it. I actually think that was really bad advice. He could have worked with me what, with what he knew to de-risk my scheme. But I've now learned he was the wrong person for me to be bouncing ideas off. And his personality type is not to take risks. And that was actually one of the first catalysts that meant that I didn't want to then pursue that that position because someone that's senior is supposed to be more experienced than me. 
Um, and it could be lack of confidence, lack of age, lack of years, whatever it may be. It knocked me back and I was like, maybe this isn't going to work. And it's a big risk. I'm quitting my job. I'm taking a massive overhead of, of financial burden. It might not work. And that was the first sort of uh, someone taking the sails out my wing, uh, my, my taking the wind out of my sails experience. Um, so from, from then, I was a bit lost and I thought to myself, how how can I conclude this? I want to know if it's going ahead or not. Um, and how do I get to that point? And so what I started to do was meeting other gym owners that aren't based in Henley on Thames that I could hopefully rely on some of their expertise or experience or previous experiences. And I was really fortunate enough to meet a local guy who grew up in near Henley, but he actually set up his first gym in Reading. He then set up a bigger gym in Reading, and now he's got about 10 or so branches across the south of the UK, all, all massive gyms. I'm talking three to 5,000 members, and he's, he's really successful out of it. He came to view the space, um, and he gave me a lot of advice that I wouldn't have known unless you've been in business for 10, 15 years in that space. He said, the space is too small. He said, you'll make it work if you just want to be a manager on a good rate. But if you want to scale this and step out of it, it needs to be bigger. He was like, you're not going to make... Um, business money out of this you're going to make management money in which case you might as well go and be a manager at a gym he actually said to me come and be a manager at one of my gyms um <laughs> so so he taught me he, he taught me a lot um so that was one really positive spin of building a you know he actually really liked my business plan he was very impressed by it and he thought my numbers were pretty on par so it's all about sort of meeting and finding out what's going on and there's i think you can learn a, a hell of a lot of years of, of gray hairs off others. And that's really what I was reliant on. I saw in other investment, I, I, I learned how to raise capital against a business plan and things like that. So for all of this process of only a few months, I was sort of learning and growing and, and I suppose uh, succeeding in, in um, understanding of business and what it means, but also failing in that particular role. Anyway, in short, the business was ready to run. I could have signed on the dotted line. I needed a guarantor for my dad because I, I was producing a, a menial income. And when that business set was, was, was kicking off, I would have then lost that income. So that the, the financial lender wanted some sort of cross guarantees. And at which point my dad said to me, I think I, he, he actually basically said, I'm not backing you on this. Um, so that was also a bit of a big learning curve for me to have someone that, you know, no likes and trusts me um, to not actually believe in the model. And when he said that, he said, if this was a property or if this was a plot of land or if this was in development, I'd back you. But it's not. So I'm not. So what I learned from that and, and what I actually managed to do being the person that I am, I actually packaged up all the work that I had done on this scheme and, and traded it on to someone else that, that did have the confidence and the backing and, and the scheme. So they went on and run that gym. And, you know, I, I didn't necessarily uh, become a... Uh, really successfully financially out of it but the amount of knowledge and experience that I took from that I managed to trade it on and see that then actually grow to failure because the person that took it on believe it or not was an accountant not the accountant I was referring to but another one uh, I just knew that I needed to take my personality traits my strengths start something that I believe I can finish and prove once I've got that model proven then go to rounds of investment partnership contacts whatever it may be uh, and maybe one day my dad might back me. Um, so, so that was a huge failure, success, learning curve, um, something that I took forward with me and, and drove on. And it, and it was, it was, it was then I'd, I'd actually had quit my job and I was sort of free reign from all of that being dusted away. 
uh, I've got some funny stories actually where I was in my office in my sales role in, in Reading and I'd say I'm just going to the loo and I literally run downstairs, jump on my moped, drive to, Red, uh, to Henley which is about a 15 minute ride do a meeting with someone and then ride back and go back up into the into the <laughs> office which is probably against my contract but I don't think they'll care now because they're very yeah. supportive of, of what I've yeah. done since I've left the company but yeah so that was I personally felt yeah I personally felt like a failure a few times um in that process of setting that up and trying to grow that business but it's really I I, I think unless it really hurts you don't learn as much and I think that's been a really key learning curve for me um, and if you're not exposed to failure, you're going to make mistakes later down the line. And to be a successful company, people don't want to see, you know, rookie, rookie mistakes being casted over in the first part. So I'm very open minded in that respect. So um, I was hugely grateful for that venture, which didn't really work out but as well for me as I'd like to, to hope it. Maybe one day I'll, I'll be a GM owner again, who knows, hopefully in my own building. Um, my wife actually runs uh gyms and, and meal prep companies since we've met but that's in southern california so it's a little bit different but i do actually have a i do have a, a position in that that business as well so i get to see you know exciting things like that go on i help with most of the financial management and and some areas of the business but um but yeah maybe maybe uh fitness one day but but for me i'm sticking to what i know and 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 building an ecosystem within construction and property yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that. And it sounds like that sounds like it's your destiny to to have a have maybe a few gyms in the UK that you uh that you own the buildings on as well because then you get the you get the 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 asset and you get the business, right? So, um how did it make you feel um in the sense of when you sort of had that failure dad didn't back you? Do you how did that make you feel? Did it did you, do you think it made you more driven? 100%. Yeah, I'm I'm I 100% believe that. I, 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 weirdly, I don't feel accepted until start stuff starts getting to to work and it's and it's and it appears like it's working from a you know under the bonnet and numbers and financially, but also aesthetically. So I'm I always focus on the numbers first, but I also obviously want to to for, for you know for people to see that it's that it's 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 a success and i suppose everyone in that whatever their passion is whether it's a nurse working for the nhs or whether it's a business owner like us everyone has their passion for drive and mine is business success um and it it really did drive me and and it was it was a huge knockback um but what it also did was i worked in sales and in sales the first thing they ask you in an interview is explain to me how you're resilient when i joined that sales company i thought i was a very resilient person i was very resilient in sport um i was resilient in education being dyslexic and overcoming it getting a, a good degree um but what does resilience mean i suppose every year in your life it changes and it might be resilience to to different things but at that moment in time i was naive growing growing a business plan or something that i hadn't delivered for would i back myself who knows if i had it spare probably but if it was my only ticket no um so the the, the drive and the resilience off the back of that is what now helps me in my current day really keep driving forward when there is a no when there is a someone's put a barrier in front of you when a planning officer has rejected a planning application that you thought was absolutely sailing through when a when a, one of your employees decides to hand their notice in when an investor pulls out the week before you're due to complete on a deal and you need to find 800 grand in 10 10 days like that resilience can't be built 
off anything other than experience. So it, it gave me huge drive um, and, it, and it still is there. You know, I feel that drive is better than sleep. Drive is better than any work ethic. It keeps you getting up each morning and just banging that drum and just making sure that everything's ticking along, moving forward and growing and as efficient as it can be. So I, I love the word drive. I think that that's the only thing that you really can control, your own drive and everything that you do do daily. And I, I've, I've been a massive advocate from that, from sort of the work ethic topic we touched on earlier today. Um, but also off the back of that sort of naive, uh, my dad actually said to me, um, it was probably about two or three years after he felt he had let me down. And he sort of said, um, he said in his own words, the way that, that that panned out, he said that way that business venture panned out for you is he felt like he gave me a balloon, I blew it up, and as soon as it was at size, he popped it. Um, and that, that was, a, I suppose, an example of, uh, you know, someone's self-motivation or self-belief, and it was. Um, but fortunately, you, you, can, you can hustle and you can go and buy more balloons and, and blow up three at a time next time. So when your dad comes and pops one or the market pops one or a finance, finance backing pops one, you still got two left. And that's massively what I took away from that. Yeah, absolutely love that. And and you're right, like drive, when I lost it all um, and my drive just went up massively because, you know, I wanted to achieve and be successful, similar driver. I want to be successful in business. I want the numbers to work. Um, and now I've created multiple businesses and like you say, multiple balloons, not relying on one revenue stream. And people often say to me, why have you, why have you gone and done this? And why have you gone and that? I'm like, because I don't know what could happen tomorrow in a, in a, you know, the reason my business failed in the first place was me. Um, but next, next, there could be something else and that comes along and pops my balloon. So yeah, do you know what, Jack, this has been brilliant today. There's been so many golden nuggets of information. Um, it's been fantastic. So what would you say, um, your sort of definition of failure is and, and failing forward? Um, so I, I first off, and you've probably talked about this a lot on your podcast before, I think failure shouldn't be acknowledged as a negative thing. Um, you have like quite frequently, I mean, being, being in sales, it helps to, 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 to sort of concede to failure and, and enjoy it. But quite frequently, I think to myself, if, you know, as an example, every single, my negotiation, I'm giving away my negotiation tactic here, here now to everyone. If you're buying something for £1,500 and you say to them, I offer you £1,000 and they go, I can't accept that. And you say, how close can you get? You're not going to get a better deal than you originally were anyway. So what have you got to lose? If you fail budging them from a, even a penny from 1500 quid, you've still got the same price that you were going to pay anyway. So first off with failure, what, what have you got to lose? Asking the question, trying to challenge it, giving it a go. You're only going to learn from it and you're only going to potentially get a better better prospect or better moving forward out of it. Um, so first off, I, I always think, what have you got to lose to to, to try something and, 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 and be open to failing at it and learning from that failure. Um, another definition of failure is I feel that failure defines success. So without the failure, you won't know what the success is or, or you'll never get there. Um, I've had that a lot from products. You would actually laugh if you went and opened up our storage that's got all the products that I've bought and I, I haven't sold. Um, there's probably a significant amount worth of stock, you know, hundreds of pounds worth of stock, but that that box of stuff that didn't work doesn't mean to me that I failed as a person and, and as a trader and as, as an eBayer. That to me uh, is an example of how I had to to test different things in the market, see where the demand is. 
and and sell other stuff you know i've sold all the stock elsewhere that's paid for that and more so it's not necessarily the be all and end all the failure is step one failure again is step two and eventually you get to the top of the steps and you're like okay i've got a product or i've got a business that works so don't necessarily take it as the be all and end all we've all seen the um the image of the guy walking away from digging at the end of his tunnel when he only needed one more strike to get to the gold and and that's that's life that's business and it's got to be part of it so it's not the be all and end all is is another defined definition for me um and then the last one which is touching on uh activity uh again is is if you are super active you're gonna have a lot more failures than someone that's not so (laughs) there's a phrase that the harder you work the luckier you get i think that one's a bit cringy but to some degree the pretense works that it's it's quite frequent that you know some some people have said to me we discussed but just before we came on the call we've won two awards in the last sort of 10 10 days two weeks and that didn't come from the last two weeks that came from years of work years of failure last year and the reason you reached out to me was because of my post we submitted our d- development, which was seven offices and seven flats for development of the year last year. We came runner up. We submitted a new scheme this year. That that was a failure last year. We didn't win. Okay, second is 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 commendable, but in 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 you know my my sporting arena, second is last. And and we 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 cha- we changed our business. We changed our business model. We looked at different stock. We improved our team. We worked heavily on planning. We worked heavily on delivery. And as a result of that failure, we've now put a deal forward, which has won two awards, one in the same category and another in a, in a different sector of, of award winning. So that, that just defines that you've got to be active. You've got to be refining the process. You've got to be failing to be a better business. And the more failures you do, the, the, the better you will look. Um, but w- what happens behind scenes, there's, there's continuous failures. We have failures every day in the company. It's actually really difficult to celebrate the wins because every day that something goes right, there's probably more things that have gone wrong. Um, and that, that's just the line of our work and what we've got to deal with and, and, and just keep, keep, keep focusing on the sort of five, 10 year plan. Make sure you know day to day what you've got to do to get there. Don't take the, the failures personally. Take them, take them holistically and learn from them um, is, is, is what I can add uh, on failure. Absolutely love that. Like that's um, and more, so many golden nuggets there. It's like what people say about the um, iceberg effect. Like people would probably see you now stood on that stage, you know, taking it, going, oh, wow, you know, that guy's mega successful. See Jack and uh, and your partner and go, oh, look, look, you know, their, their success, they've, they've skyrocketed, but they don't see what's underneath all of those failures. And that's, I think the most important thing and what we what I'm trying to do with this podcast is is get people to understand that and that it's okay to fail because certainly when I failed um massively it, as I say it was compound of lots of little failures that I didn't pick up on um but also the the negative stigma around failure was huge and even if you look it up in the English dictionary you look up failure and you read out failure and it's nothing but just negative just negative 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 and you know trying to flip it on its head and everything you've just said is absolutely absolutely bang on one thing I wanted to go back to, which we, you said quite early, is about um, being your own bottleneck in your business. Um, and I certainly learned that. And it's trying to show other people to build a team and not be the sole point. Because when you're the sole centre point of a business, you are the break point. I used to be the break point of my tree surgery business. And what is something Kevin McDonald says at Progressive Property is like, I got a letting agent, but I don't have a desk in my letting agent. And I was like, how come? And he was like, because... 
um, then I don't have to understand all the systems and everything. People, I've got built a team that can go and do that for me and I'm not the center point of it, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, completely agree. And I'm, I'm quite a big believer in uh, the best team. And I, I used to play rugby. The, the best team play off their strengths, right? So, so t someone that doesn't know rugby knows that the big chubby guys that have got a low center of gravity, great work ethic, like getting their head down, go at the front of the scrum. And the and the and I've used to play this position, so I can say that. And the pretty boys are out the back, throwing the balls wide and running round people. And what I'm trying to get at with that, and Will Greenwood, uh, the 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 lock in the Rugby World Cup, has actually written a book on this of, of how sport can be re relative to business. Is you wouldn't you wouldn't win a World Cup if you picked up all the players and moved positions. Why? Because they're good in some areas and bad in some areas. So when you're in business and when you're building a team and when you're building a business and you don't want to be the bottleneck of that, it's all about understanding people's strengths, hiring the people for the requirement, but also making sure they're playing to their strengths. So my, my strengths in our business, and we easily allocate it, is in property, you have acquisitions, funding, structuring, design, delivery, and sales. I don't get involved in the design, delivery, and sales. All of, ben, all of that is Ben's gig, and then our team that are, that are managed by Ben. Everything acquisition, funding, and structuring is my skill set. I'm good at closing deals. I'm good at sales. I'm good with numbers, and I understand the legal process of structuring a purchase, whether that be complicated or simplified. So I, I, I work off those skill sets, and it is a mantra of when you play off your strengths, not only do you enjoy it, not only are you good at it, so you're getting the best result for the business, but also the scalability is huge. It's not uh, when we set up the company, it was just Ben and I, I didn't feel like we were going to grow the business twice as quickly because there was two of us. I felt like we were going to grow the business 10 times as quickly because he's doing all the things I'm bad at and he's and I'm doing all the things he's bad at. So I think that that metric is really powerful in business. And we learned that early on because our, our, our personalities did gel that way. We, we sort of spotted those, you know, Ben said to me in literally like month one, you should be acquisitions director. And I was a bit like, how has he worked that out? I've, I've delivered, I've delivered in construction. I've project managed big projects like he has, but now it makes sense. And, um, maybe that, maybe that's the age he's got on me. He, he could spot that from an earlier date. So what we've tried to factor that and, and encompass that into our business so that everyone's playing off their strengths. And that is completely true. You know, someone that's in admin might not be good at sales. Someone that's for an example, surveying might not be good at business development. Like don't, you don't have to be good at everything. Um, and it's really key that you analyze where your role is. And the, the, the owner of Gymshark actually had this sort of um, self-check moment as well when he was scaling, you know, up to a billion pound company and he was CEO. It was way above his pay grade. And he then took him, he delegated himself down to marketing director. And since then, the business has gone skyrocket. And it's that self-awareness and putting the ego aside that really takes businesses to the next level and allowing other people to be better than you at something is really common in a service-based business when it goes from one director doing the service themselves. So for an example, let's use um, Ben's architectural practice as an example. Ben was drawing up architectural drawings and he built a business through himself and he grew the team. And a lot of clients were coming to him and going, I want you to do the work. And he's actually going, well, I'm actually so out of touch with it now. I'm running the business. I could give you business advice of how to scale a business, but I can't give you architectural advice because I'm out of it. There's a lot of other people that are doing it day out, day in, day out, more qualified, more skilled, um, and and they're your better place for them. And that's quite common when when businesses scale. So um, 
I suppose I, I can I can sort of tell from from meeting you, and I do remember meeting you at Progressive Property that time. I think you do have good self awareness, and I think that's really really key to growing a team and growing a business, and also maximising on 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 what your team can do for you and giving them responsibilities. You know, I I I'm it's really difficult for someone that's not lazy to delegate correctly, if that makes sense. Um, and I struggled with that because I thought it's quicker if I do it myself, I'm probably better at it anyway. But as soon as you start getting in the rhythm of, of actually offloading the work in areas where other people are way better than you, it becomes really powerful because then you can focus on your strengths too, which help the business. Yeah, hundred percent. And you're right because, um, trying to do there is that age old saying isn't it, it I'll, I'll do it myself because it could be quicker and, I, and i'll be better at it but actually there's so many people are doing better things again i felt i'm similar to you i wasn't very good at school um and i'm not very good with certain things and now i've got a team that do things a lot quicker um but one thing i realized and actually i, I didn't know that about the gym shark guy um but that makes total sense because when my when I, my failure happened my um business skyrocketed um and my knowledge and self-development i didn't do much of so i didn't actually follow the trajectory of my business as as you say like with when you're talking earlier it's like what rob moore says new level new devil you know the more the, your, your business grows and to have that self-awareness that the gymshark guy went actually i'm gonna put a ceo in charge because he's gonna do it a lot better that's that's amazing and you know having that self-awareness building a team and you and your partner understanding each other's strengths and that's what like uh, the perfect jv is i mean you look at rob and mark they're they're they've got their own strengths and weaknesses and if you can work off that then you know you've got a match made in heaven so so yeah it's been jack it's been brilliant today um and i've loved hearing your failures i've loved hearing your successes i've loved hearing your story and there's been so much um knowledge here um for uh, my listeners so just if people wanted to reach out and connect with you where's the best place to do that of course thank you and thank you for having me on um i'm on all socials so linkedin instagram and uh facebook uh, just jack jiggins surname spelled j-i-g-g-e-n-s you can search up any of our companies xp properties and development company xp surveys we do measured building and uh, topographical surveys for any property people out there we're the only business in that industry that has an online quotation tool for a measured building survey or topographical survey and then central suites is our property management and hmo business in oxfordshire but yeah reach out happy to connect uh, help help in any ways i can and if anyone's got any more detailed questions than anything we've discussed happy to help brilliant awesome thanks so much for coming on jack Thanks, Henry.